Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From the Financial Times in London, this is Hard Currency. I'm Katie Martin and joining me is Peter Shafrick, who's Global Macro Strategist at RBC. Thanks for stopping by, Peter. Hello, Katie. It's a busy week, right? So the big issue is... Who let the hawks out? There's a lot of it about the central bankers. I don't know. They've put something in their tea. It's going on everywhere. Everyone's talking about turning off the taps or even raising policy rates. Let's start with the European Central Bank. We've just had the minutes out from there. What's the picture looking at, looking like to you? Well, I think, frankly, I think for the for the ECB, they probably got the, the hardest task of them all because they don't want to be perceived as hawkish. However, their economy is going well, so and they have to recognise that. And that, obviously, it's a high-class problem, isn't that how Draghi has described it in the past? Well, yes and no, because, you know, we have to be very, very clear. So you have the economy on the one hand, which is doing fine, but then on the other hand, you've got inflation. And, and when you go back to the speech that Draghi gave a couple of days ago, he made that very, very clear. So if you have the impact of monetary policy on the economy as working, thumbs up, great. However, if you then have the impact of the economy on inflation, we're still miles away from generating intrinsic self-sustained inflation. And the reason for that is, I think, A, we come from a very poor starting point. Mm. And the ECB has put a lot of information out there about, you know, underemployment um, being much higher than anticipated and these type of things. And secondly, we have sort of the global issue that even if you get to a point where there's no slack in the economy, is that generating inflation? As the US and as the UK are finding out currently, it takes longer than that. Mm. So I, I think, you know, whilst on the one hand you have to recognize, yes, inflation, um, the economy is, is doing well, um, on the other hand, you've got to say, well, we still got to keep our policy very, very accommodative. And I think the market has a hard time sort of swallowing that. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the speech there from Mario Draghi, the ECB president in, in Sintra in Portugal last week. There were a few central bankers speaking there. But in terms of the ECB's approach, I mean, it very much sounds like both from what Draghi said and from what certain other governing council members have said, and from the minutes that we've just seen released, that the, the discussion is not so much around whether they should start turning the taps off. It's when and how, and most importantly, how to communicate it. I mean, how big of a communication challenge is this? Well, in fact, I think I mean we're, it's now Thursday. I think we're seeing a very significant market move today. Yeah. I mean, the Bund yield, the 10-year Bund yield, um, so the benchmark in Europe, has just broken out of its trading range that we lived in for the last six months. So it's a very significant market move that we're seeing here. And this is precisely what the ECB is worried about, that you have an environment mm. where yields are rising, but not necessarily because the economy is doing well and therefore inflation expectations go up. In fact, inflation expectations are going down. So you've got real yields, financial conditions that are tightening. And this is at a much smaller scale, admittedly, but it's sort the same picture that happened when the Fed at the time in 2013 announced that they're going to taper, and the market just market yields just shot higher, and yeah. we had a big we had a, we, we had a big market response there, and that's what they're really worried about. And if I may say last thing, if you look carefully in the minutes, it becomes very clear: yes, we got to do this; yes, we got to do that; but we got to be very careful yeah. um, in when we do it, how we do it, and how we communicate it. But 
currency traders, bless them, they don't look too carefully, right? Because as you say, everything that Draghi has said, everything that's in the minutes so far says, yes, but no, but, you know, yes, this this is something we'd like to do. At some stage, we'd need to exit this emergency policy, but we don't want financial conditions to tighten too fast. I just don't see how they're going to square this circle, yeah. right? Well, I think in that, as regards to currency, I think they're, mm. they're a little bit fortunate because obviously we've seen upward pressure on the euro and you could argue that for what they're trying to achieve, that's not necessarily in their interest. However, so far it has been relatively mild. And I think one of the, one of the main reasons is um, because the short end of the yield curve, the short-term interest rates are not moving. And there's a lot of analysis, including our own, that shows that for the currency market, what's the most important is the relative movement of short-term interest rates, because that's typically how people invest short-term and, you know, how all the currency trades are being done on a forward basis and these type of things. And therefore, I think what's happening at the, you know, not two-year part of the euro curve is mightily important for mm. the euro. And that is the bit that the ECB can actually control, whereas the long end or the longer dated yields they cannot control. So that is, I think, what's holding back the euro from strengthening even further. But otherwise, with an economy that's going well and, you know, an area that's probably been underinvested for years, it's quite understandable, I think, that the currency appreciates. So the last time I looked at my charts, I think the euro was trading at about 113.80 to the dollar, something like that. The two schools of thought now, one of them is everyone's got well ahead of themselves. This isn't going to go through 115, certainly. And the other is we're off to the races, 120, 124. Here we come. If you had to bet, I mean, how far do you think it can go? Well, I mean, one thing is clear, I think, sort of, if you look at all sorts of fair value assessments, which, you know, you might or might not believe in, then you come to the conclusion that the euro is undervalued. But all analysis and all experience tells us it might be years until we get to these levels. And these fair value levels are around about 120, 125, as you just mentioned. So I have a very hard time seeing how we get there very, very quickly. And in fact, you know, if I might point out, obviously, a currency is always uh, is, is two sides of the ledger. And we have to keep in mind, of course, what the dollar is doing. And currently, the dollar has been under quite a bit of pressure, downward pressure, which stems a lot from the fact that the data releases out of the US have not been that strong. And there is a very good chance that this turns around. We'll get the uh, labor market data tomorrow. We'll see about that. And, of course, the Fed is also being an upward trajectory here. So we'll have to see whether the dollar stays on the back foot as it currently does. Uh, we reckon maybe not. So all in all, I would not necessarily subscribe that we're off to the races to 125 straight away. That's that's probably a bit harsh. I mean, that, that's a good point, right? Because it's not just the ECB. If you look at the Bank of England, you know, they've started to make some noises. Okay, not universally shared, but some noises about whether the inflation profile might mean that they have to start thinking about raising rates somewhat sooner than they were previously expecting. Bank of Canada has given a pretty strong message that, you know, it's looking to kind of get off the starting blocks. The Fed yesterday was talking about, well, dropping hints that it might start unwinding its asset purchase program as soon as, you know, this month, maybe. So if everybody's doing it, like you say, how does this move FX? Is a currency is not really where we're going to see this play out? Yeah. Well, let me let me make a couple of comments first to the central banks, and then I'll come back to the currency. Because first of all, I think we have to recognise this as generally 
two major themes currently of, as to why the central banks would be interested in tightening policy. One is sort of the, the Phillips curve argument, if you want, where the inflation has gone up. It's just a question of when and we have to preempt it. And the other argument is financial stability. And sometimes it's a combination of both. And most central bankers, the Fed apart, have currently said, well, we have loosened policy, maybe a little bit too much. And we probably, in the interest of these two targets, we've got to reverse some of that. So the Bank of Canada would be um, one of them. And that was basically the argument that the sort of the hawks on the MPC in the UK have made as well. In the case of the Fed, I think the discussion is different because in the case of the Fed, you have a much stronger case for a very sound economy that might eventually generate inflation and therefore you have a proper cycle. And that, I think, is is very important. And going back to the currency market then or the markets more generally, I think what we'll have to see is whether or not what we had earlier this year where we had a quite significant dollar strength that was born on the fact that the economy is doing well, the Fed is going to hike, and the policymakers are going to put stuff in place that's going to make the economy even stronger. And therefore, you have the short-end interest rates in the, in the dollar market going up, and that's driving up the dollar. And currently, that has sort of been priced out to some degree. If we price that stuff back in, then I think you have a very good case to make why the dollar could be stronger and then all the crosses relative to this dollar will have a hard time. And then we got to look, you know, all other things and, uh, I don't know, cat against euro, you know, these type mm-hmm. of things, so the other crosses. But sort of as far as the big currencies are concerned, I think this is one of the key things that we have to watch out for. The, the only ones that aren't playing amongst the majors are uh, the Australians, really. But that's a whole that's a whole other story. But what would you say that you say they're not playing? But I mean, even their tone when you look very carefully, I mean, they haven't really sort of changed significantly. Their their biases are still mm. very much in a neutral bias. But there were a lot of people in the market, us included, who earlier this year expected they would probably cut. Even that is now not a generally held conviction in the market. In fact, we at RBC, we have changed our call for the RBA um, very recently, and we don't expect them to cut anymore. So mm. I think even there, the notion is sort of creeping in that you know we've probably seen the lows. And one thing that's been one idea that's been circulating around all this rush of central bank chatter recently is that it's somehow coordinated. You know, they were all in one place last week at Sintra in Portugal. So, you know, it's inevitable they're all going to be speaking at roughly the same time. Do you think there's a case for coordination? I very much doubt this is a coordinated action, if I may say. And the reason is, if you look at the various central banks, I mean, the Fed has been in that camp for quite some time. Mm. Um, and I think the ECB has, has has gone to length to explain why the market has misinterpreted what they've been saying. And I think the, 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 the Bank of Canada and the RBA are sort of very different animals anyway. And if you look here in the UK, there's a there's a almost an internal infight about what to do with these interest rates. And, you know, so I have a very hard time sort of seeing that as a coordinated action. In fact, if you go back when we had coordinated action, say after the crisis, that looks very different. So I think this is just, I wouldn't call it coincidence, but it's just most of these central banks, they, they come from different angles and then come to, for their own economies, different conclusions. But what is fair, and I think that's probably the last point on this, we probably have seen the low point for the time being, Mm. at least, in terms of loosening. So that, I think, is understood. Mm. As you say, the ECB has tried to walk back certain elements of of, of what's been said, but, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? Very quickly on the UK, you know, Mark Carney can say whatever he's going to say about the likelihood of raising rates, but... Brexit, you know, to what extent does that just blow all the kind of monetary analysis out of the window? 
Well, of course, you can't argue Brexit away, although some people might try. But, I mean, the fact is that the bank had cut interest rates and had rolled out the QE program as a response to Brexit. And now the economy has been doing reasonably well, even though I would argue that we're currently slowing quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. And therefore, some members on the committee are saying, well, you know, we might want to reverse what we've done and, you know, that might be appropriate. However, having said that, I think that even if you acknowledge that, and we are not in that camp, we think the bank was not going to raise interest rates, but even if you acknowledge that they might, I think it's it's very, very hard to find a case for a prolonged rate hike cycle in the face of Brexit because the consumer is slowing, investment is most likely going to slow. The government's hands are tied to some degree by the relatively poor state of government finances, even though we currently have the debate. And it's very likely um, that the the high inflation numbers are transitory in nature. So, you know, I I find it very, very hard to see an environment where we have a prolonged Fed-style rate hike cycle in the UK. Mm, Good point. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for listening. Well, do thank keep you for me. no. Thank you for coming, and do keep on top of markets coverage from the FT at ft.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers, and if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Markets.